As always, our show is sponsored by Memoria Press. You can find our curriculum at memoriapress.com. Welcome to Classical Etc., a show from Memoria Press that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. On today's episode of Classical Etc., we're going to discuss one of our favorite authors, Wendell Berry, and one of his best short stories, Fidelity. And I think instead of having any kind of on-ramp, or we're just going to get right into it because we have been trying our hardest not to talk to each other about this short story for the last like two hours every, because it's just so interesting. And it's quite a long short story. Now for the audience, a couple of caveats. It is pretty long, but it is so worth the read. You can find it in a collection of his short stories called Fidelity, and that includes five other stories. And then you can find it also in another collection of short stories called That Distant Land. And I'm sure you can find it on its own as well. But those are the two places where you can find this short story. And before we get into discussion of it, I I do want to just give just a very, very brief synopsis of the plots to orient people to our discussion. And the beauty of that is that nothing happens in Wendell Berry's books, which makes it so much easier <laughs> to give a summary of the plot. I, I, I kid, but also that's part of, it is like fascinating how riveting his stories are without a lot of action, with nothing happening. <laughs> right. um, but this is essentially the story of an older man. I believe he's 88 and he is on his final, he's in his final days and he's very, very sick and he's admitted to a hospital in Louisville and his son Danny Branch and the the man's name is Burley Coulter. His son, Danny Branch decides he's going to rescue him from the medical establishment, sneaks his body out of the hospital and then takes him out to the wilderness where he buries his father who passes away. And during his escape from the hospital, the hospital of course is alarmed. They call the police. There's an investigation into who does it. And the people of Port William, this imaginary city that Wendell Berry writes all of his stories in, um, come together uh, to interfere with the investigation and make sure that Danny Branch is okay. That's the story in a nutshell. Anything from that that you guys would add before we, any important details before I get into our first question? Well, it, it leaves out all the important details. Exactly. But, you know, that's, right. Yeah, I mean, uh, Wendell, there, you know, there are certain writers where, and certain stories where if you were to give a, a very objective description of what happens you would probably not want to read it. And, and Wendell's, Wendell's one of those writers that, that, that you, if you would try to explain what the story was about, it would not have any appeal. Sure. It's, it's, it's all the appeal is in the reading of it and, and in his sort of um, meditative style mm. of, of writing, uh, a, a style where he's able to say things, he's able to say things that I don't think any other writer is able to say. Yeah. But I'm going to disagree. I think the, am I supposed I think, to be surprised? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> I think the, um, the subject of this story is fascinating. Mm. And I think I would have wanted to read it just because of, you know, stealing somebody from the hospital who's dying. <laughs> I think we've all been there. With somebody, you know, close to you that is hooked up in the hospital and just, you know, that are they dying with dignity there? Mm. Do they need Mm. to be there? How much money is this costing when 
you know, it, we've come so far in the medical field that now apparently we can just keep people alive forever. Mm. Whereas when people used to die at home, it was just a, such a more natural. But maybe it's just something that I've thought I, a lot about. I agree with Tanya, given Martin's caricature of this story that you, you may, if you hear the, the synopsis of it, you may not want to read it. Like if you were to phrase it as a man kidnaps his father from the hospital to take him, uh, to the woods to, to die. To the woods to die. Like, that's a great, like, yeah, let me read that story. <laughs> you all don't understand promotion. Here's what you say. You say, this is Wendell Berry's only detective story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think on that point, I, I agree with both of you because I think, Tony, what you're saying is that it's so much more than just the moment when Danny is rolling Burley out on the gurney. You know, like there's, he doesn't have a gun. He doesn't have to fight his way out, you know, so there's no action necessarily, but things like, you know, tall Proudfoot in a different story, jumping into a vegetable basket or, you know, uh, in Jaber Crow, Jaber loving in his heart, a woman that he's not married to. Like, these are really interesting things that happen. So when I say nothing happens, it's tongue in cheek, but what the things that happen are not necessarily action in the sense that a lot of times we think it is when we talk about plot. Oh, I agree that there's not a lot of action or it's a very slow moving action in his Mm -hmm. stories and in his books. It's very, it's really very much like an agrarian life that is, that is of a different time. Yeah. Well, and I I wonder something because when there's a scene at the end of the story. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but there's a scene at the end of the story where they're all brought into a room at uh, Wheeler Catlett's uh, law offices. And uh, there's all these characters in there. And I thought, you know, a, a person who is not familiar with Barry, you know, because I'm, I'm getting to the point, is this the first one to read? <laughs> it's the, the first, first one, one I read. read. Is it the first it one It is read? the very first one I read. And there's... There's a story behind that. Well, but he, when they're when they're all in there, and he's he's giving this litany of who's in this office, right. and you, these are all people you know mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. if you've read if Wendell you've, Berry. Yeah. This is this uh, is there any other scene in any of Wendell's other books which has this assembly of people? Mm. It's all the great characters. Hannah Coulter. I mean, everybody but Jaber Crow. You know, you don't have Jaber yep. Crow. Well, but, you don't have Matt and Matt Feltner. Feltner yeah, right. Uh, right. But there is, isn't there a Feltner in here, or he's mentioned anyway in the story? He anyway, is, he is. They well, are. Yeah, because Hannah's Hannah. his uh, daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but but there is this. We this is this story is part of a whole world of stories they're all some people may not know this but wendell berry's books it's all the same world it's the world of port william and and that's that's sort of the center to all of his stories and i just that that this is the this is the one story which has i think most of the characters from that world that you know are in it gathered in one spot in one place so the purpose of this podcast in a lot of ways is because we love the fruit and the process of classical education and people talk about the things they like. We get on, we get on this show, I guess once a week or so now, and we just talk about the stuff we love classical education. And through that, we try to answer questions about classical education from our experience. And we ask questions we don't have the answer to. So I want to frame this conversation in that reading this short story in this context, this is something we love. And I think we love it in some ways for the same reasons we love classical education. 
Tanya, do you agree with that? And can you maybe make any connections between some of the reasons that you have loved being a part of classical education and this work and why it's important and what you find important and enjoyable about this story? I think the first thing that for me is um, that would lead this to be more of a classical bent is the prose, Mm. the beautiful sentences. I mean, I could go through here and pick out so many beautiful sentences that are, it's just one sentence, but it says so much. He's just a beautiful writer. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's the first thing. And the other thing is, you know, all the um, themes that we are constantly talking about in classical education within literature are in here, community and What's unique to Wendell about community is that, you know, that idea of membership, Mm -hmm. that we are members one of each other. And that if something happens to me because I'm part of this membership, then it also happens to you. Mm -hmm. You know, that it that is a huge Wendell theme throughout. Um, Can we pause on that? Tease that out a little bit. Um, Paul, how does the membership idea, such a central concept for Wendell, how does it work out in this story? Kind of talk about some of the characters and how membership is illustrated. So when when Danny decides to go rescue his father from the hospital, um, he, he doesn't say much to his wife. All, all he says is, I'm going to get him. Doesn't say who him is. And, uh, and he tells her, if anybody asks, just tell him I said something about Indiana. And so when the hospital calls his wife looking for Danny thinking, well, maybe it was Danny that, that and the detective thinking maybe it was Danny that, that took his father. She, she knows that, you know, deep down that Danny's got, him. but she just says, he said something about Indiana, you know? And so she's, she protects him. And then when it, when it becomes clear that the detective knows that it was a man in a blue shirt that, that took Burley. Well, uh, Nathan's his, uh, is, is he a relative at all? Anyway, it was Nathan, Nathan cold to, to Danny. Well, I guess he'd be cousins then. Um, no, gosh, I, I either I cousins or uncle, and I can't remember anyway. If he's Burley's and, and, brother and, or and, cousin. And wait, Nathan, Nathan's the nephew of Burley, right? So then he'd be the cousin of Danny, yes, yeah. yeah. So Nathan, his cousin, then sneaks off to put to put a green shirt where Danny will find it. So by the time Danny comes back to the to the community, he's not wearing a blue shirt anymore, right? But he doesn't tell us why. I mean, which is what he was wearing when he took birth. Right, right. So he's not incriminated. Right, and so everybody's doing these things, um, in order that, and, and even the the lawyer who's a friend is is in ways they're they're obstructing to provide for the humanity of their fellow member. Mm. Right, even though. The, the argument could be, well, they did something illegal. I, I don't really think it should be illegal to take somebody out of a hospital, but um, the law was seen as kidnapping, and but they are all protective of, of 
each other's humanity. There's that great discussion between, I believe it's Wheeler when he's, when detective Bode is talking to Wheeler and he's like, who, who actually owns. Right. Uh, and he says, Burley. I just turned to that somehow you and I are the same. He says there are Wheeler says to Bode, there are several of us here who belong to Danny and to whom he belongs and we'll stand by him, whatever happens. Mm-hmm. They all together were involved without words in this conspiracy to rescue Burley and to let him die with dignity in the woods that he loved. Martin, what is Wendell Berry, the author, responding to or reacting to, to, to feel the need that he needs to write these stories about how important membership is? What do you think he's observing in the culture that makes him feel, feel this way? Well, he's, he's observing this disintegrating impulse that there is in culture um, that, you know, he writes a lot about small towns where there is this organic unity of, of, the, of the members, the people in the town, and he contrasts that with life in the city, which, um, which is very disintegrating. Uh, you know, you're, you're, the, the sort of irony that out in a place in a small town where people live further apart they're closer together than the people mm-hmm. who live closer together in the city. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, 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 it, and he's, so this whole city country contrast that you see throughout his writing, um, Louisville is, which, which we're sitting in right now. Yeah, yeah. Louisville <clears throat> serves a, a role, a literary role that I, I, I've noticed in a number of different stories. It, it's Babylon. Um, <clears throat> it is, uh, if you like read um, cry the beloved country by Alan Payton jo- about South African and in the days of apartheid uh, Johannesburg serves that mm-hmm. role as mm-hmm. Babylon. And this is, this is in a lot of different uh, different literature. This, 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 the use of a place or a, or a city as this corrupting influence. And it's, and it stands in turn for this whole corrupting influence in our culture Mainly modern technology, which is, I think, one of the themes in this mm-hmm. story, uh, is is uh, what technology can do. And I, <laughs> I was just explaining before the show started. I lost my my cell phone recently, and you you have no idea how tied in you are through your phone to everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lose it at the airport, and I'm just standing there in the airport, and I'm going, "What do I what do I do?" Pay phones are gone. They're gone. You can't mm-hmm. you can't call anyone. Um, and then you just, as, as you're, as the, the days went on last week when I was on a trip, it just more and more things you're just dependent on that pull you away in many ways. I mean, some, in some ways it's kind of nice not to have a phone, you know, you got to talk to people now uh, in person. Um, so, so I think a lot of the themes in his, his stories have to do with, with, uh, the city, with, with a disintegrated culture, uh, with technology, I think is another thing he's, he's really um, implicitly referring to here. On, on that note of technology, it's interesting because when it talks about Lida and Danny having a phone, yeah. mm. they only got the phone because mm-hmm. the school, the local school was closed down and they were being bused to Hargrave, mm-hmm. which is going to be what, like an hour, mm-hmm. hour and a half one way. And, and Lida was like, we need to, 
to be able to be in communication. Our children need to be able to call us. Technology creates its own requirements. But the funny thing about that is this line, it went right on ringing as if she weren't rushing to answer it. I just thought thought that was so funny. And it's how you feel when your phone is ringing and ringing and Mm -hmm. ringing and you can't get there, but it won't Mm -hmm. stop. Mm -hmm. The idea of getting technology so it makes things easier, it actually creates many more requirements Mm -hmm. than it does away and, with. and what's interesting is right Danny's insistent when they get that phone line it's only going to be the kids say, is anyone right? going to call us yeah. Yeah. Nobody's and, really gonna but, call then, us. but then in some ways the telephone allows for Nathan to be informed so that Nathan can bring that green shirt to, to Danny it allows Wheeler to be informed so that he does what he needs to do to get the community together so in 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 some ways, that yes, because Hannah calls Henry in the middle of the night mm-hmm. to yeah. say the hospital called Lida or right. the Lida. I think called, Lida calls Lida him. Called. Lida calls him in the middle of the night, and he can't sleep again because he's trying worried. to figure out what are we going to do. Right? Because everybody knows, even though that's the great thing about this story, nobody has said. <laughs> They haven't said it between themselves. Nobody has they just acknowledged. They has gone and everybody what, knows. And yes. And mm-hmm. I love that mm-hmm. when the hospital tells, when Lida finally does get to the phone and the hospital, t- this is Danny's wife, and says they're looking for Danny and to tell him. And she says he's gone to Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> and then the hospital says, Mr. Coulter, Mr. Burley Coulter has disappeared. And Lida says, oh, she was grinning into the dark, and there had been a tremor of relief in her voice that she trusted might have passed for dismay. Relief mm. that Burley had been taken away. Freed. Freed. Yes. Liberated. Freedom. I mean, yeah, well, freedom. That, and, and this whole idea of the hospital as a place that you voluntarily take mm. someone to, and they will, they will treat you. But then when you try to get out, it, all, it becomes something like a prison. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that is, I don't know if it's Henry or Wheeler that makes that point to the detective. It's later Wheeler, on. Yeah. yes. And he, he, he says if he needs their permission to get out, he's in jail. Yeah, <laughs> right. And Wheeler implies some economic motivation, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, this this person lying mm-hmm. in your bed is costing this person hundreds of they, thousands wait, of dollars. They worked their whole lives is, to save a couple thousand dollars and at the very end it gets taken away. And now in the name of saving you, he, they're ruining you. Mm. Yes, and he says that because Bode says that the reason Danny stole Burley is because he wanted his inheritance. Mm. Because right. he was, you know, he was like, who is inheriting from this man? And if man? we could underscore again for the people who haven't read the story, uh, Bode, the, 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 he's, a, he's a detective right. in Louisville who's investigating this disappearance of this old man from the hospital. And I, uh, we had a little discussion before. I, I, I've always thought it was Bodie. Uh, and cause I've heard that name before, but uh, everyone's going to use Bode. So I'll, uh, I'll stipulate for now that it's Bode. Well, let's, let's uh, stay on Bode slash Bodie for a little bit. The, one of the wonderful ways that this story is constructed is that you move from uh, uh point of view a few times in the story Mm -hmm. and so for a little bit it's from the point of view of danny branch for a little while it's from the and that's the son of the man who's dying in the hospital sometimes from the point of view of henry catlett the small town lawyer um, who's actually just a friend to everyone as he says and then um you have the point of view of detective Cobb bodie or bode whichever you prefer i say bode yeah um and during that time 
it seems like what Wendell is Barry is doing is giving us insight into the kind of person who has been raised in this Louisville situation. Mm-hmm. He's personifies. What, yeah. What, what do you all think is of the best way to describe who detective boat is and why he's a good anti-type for well, the story? His life sounds miserable. Mm. It does sound miserable. Absolutely. Well, so miserable. Tell, tell us about his life. Why? Well, he, he, um, he's divorced. He's divorced. There's been infidelity in his life mm. twice, right? Ironic choice of words there. Infidelity. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> with the with the title of the story being Fidelity. Yes, it is. Aren't you something? Um and and he's um he's he feels seedy to me, but he's also mm-hmm. he's young and he's just he's trying to figure things out and he can't I mean there's no way that he is going to be able to compete in dialogue with Wheeler Catlett. It's just not, it's just not. And he says, I'm here to serve the law. And Wheeler says, but my dear boy, you don't eat or drink the law or sit in the shade of it or warm yourself by it or wear it or have your being in it. The law exists only to serve. And Bode says, serve what? And Wheeler says, why? All the many things that are above it, love. Do you need to customize your curriculum for the year, but don't want to juggle all the separate lesson plans? Memoria Press has you covered. Introducing the digital customized curriculum manual. Like our standard printed curriculum manuals that you know and love, the digital customized curriculum manual contains all the same comprehensive teaching guidelines, complete lesson plans, and appendix materials, but tailored to the needs of your students, and for the same price. You can purchase a standalone customized manual and build it from scratch yourself, or you can buy it as part of a customizable curriculum package which will automatically import all the subject changes you make in your package. No matter how you purchase, you can always navigate to My Curriculum Manuals on your account at memoriapress.com to download your customized curriculum manual and get the latest updates to your lesson plans. Visit our website for more information or contact our customer service representatives for any assistance with creating your new manual. Memoria Press, classical, Christian, complete. Wendell changes perspectives and we, we get to learn about detective Bode. Uh, he says that he was 29 years old already and he had been confused as much as most people mm. in spite of the law and the government and the police. It seemed people went right on and did whatever they were going to do. Mm. Their motives were, they had motives that were confusing and they left evidence that was confusing. So uh, Bode's the, a kind of man that's trying to make sense of everything. Right. And he's being contrasted with a world in which everything doesn't make sense. Sometimes the right thing isn't what the law states it is. And people that are living a a more simple, with a more simple set of rules Mm -hmm. that are based on love. He has, that's right. He has, he's not wise and he's not uh, virtuous. And he doesn't know what love is mm. uh, in contrast with everybody else in, in, in the, in the room and the, who, who have gathered together. And he's not just, even though he's in an official position of justice, he doesn't know what justice is. And, and again, I think this is one of Wendell's swipes at the artificial systems that we have created in modern life. We have, a a uh, a justice 
um, governmental apparatus, but is it just? Uh, we have a we have a health industry. Is it healthy? Uh, I, I think that Wendell's interrogating all mm. of these assumptions that we have, and he so he makes uh, uh, Bode, if if that's his name, he makes him <laughs> into this personification of everything that's wrong with the world. Mm. And in in total contrast, this whole story to me is a contrast between him and Danny Burley, mm. uh, one or both. It's a contrast between between the two, and we see it, it. Wendell doesn't say it anywhere, but we see the difference between these two kinds of people: the 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 just, the wise, the virtuous, um, the, the people who love, as opposed to this person who comes into their world from outside it, from Babylon, in 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 the role of 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 justice, not doing what is really just. I found it really interesting that Detective Kyle Bode, fra- when Wendell Berry is framing his internal dialogue, he frames his uh, job as a trying to be the smart, being smarter than the people he's talking to. It's always about, is he smarter than the people he's talking to? And I find that really interesting because it seems like that it, it reminds me of like in perhaps uh, in the, in magician's nephew with the professor, the, the way that Lewis kind of um, symbolizes the science, the scientific mindset is, facts and their use and what can i can i accumulate as much factual knowledge as i can and then i will be able to do everything as efficiently as i'm able to do and even in the it's in the story it's way more textured than in narnia but there this detective is doing a job there's a utility to it and he feels that the best way to do it is to have the most factual knowledge and these are people like mm-hmm. art rowan barry is probably not as smart as other people in the city but there is a wisdom there that all of these people in the membership share because they were not raised in that utilitarian mm-hmm. set of ideals. Can I tell you a joke? No, it's here. It's relevant here. Okay. <laughs> okay. So there's these, uh, there's this, this old country farmer and this, this, uh, uh, this city person buys a farm next door. And so this city person gets out there. He wants to, he wants to do some shooting bird shooting. So he goes out there and he shoots this bird. Um, and it, it, uh, it falls on the old farmer's property next door. So he goes over to get it, and the old farmer comes out. So what are you doing? And the guy said, well, I'm getting a bird that I shot. Well, yeah, but you, you shot it on my property. So it's my bird. And the city guy said, look, I shot the bird. Again, this little argument. So the, the old farmer says, okay, we got a way of handling these things around here. Okay. So what we do is uh, one of us kicks the, gets to kick the other person as hard as he can. And then the other guy gets to kick him back, and whoever's left standing uh, is is uh, is is gets the bird. So the the city guy says, "Well, okay." So uh, so he's figuring he's so much bigger than this little country farmer. So uh, so he he says, "Well, uh, 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 he, the farmer says you you go first. Uh, and um, or excuse me, the farmer goes first. So the farmer kicks the the this this city guy." And kicks him so hard, the guy is just on the ground writhing. So then he gets up because it's his turn, and the farmer looks down at the bird and says, Oh, you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, can't believe the city guy fell for this. Uh, yeah. So it yeah, there's this there's this wit practical wisdom. It's all through this story that is contrasted with this this 
arrogance. It's not just that it's wrong. It's arrogant on the part of this detective uh, because he thinks these people are just rubes. They're not rubes. Right. They're smarter than you are. Martin, I, I want to follow up on the joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> Is that actually just, did you get kicked by a farmer at one point and you're just telling a life story, a life lesson you learned? I'm, I, I'm not. Commenting on it. Okay. <laughs> but I've no, like, I mean, I came, from, I came from California out to <laughs> Kentucky. Yes. And I had this attitude that, that these people are stupid. No, they're way more clever than you are mm. because they've lived a real life mm. and they've been with, they've lived in a community. They know people better than I know people. They, you know, so. Can I say something in Bode? He's a very negative character, but there is hope for him mm. by the end. Mm-hmm. So he does say he had been tempted over and over again to leave with Wheeler, the small, clear world of the law and its explanations, and to enter the larger, darker world not ordered by human reasons or subject to them, in which he sensed obscurely that something might live that he too might be glad to have alive. Mm. So he does come along. Wheeler brings him along. And then he basically, I mean, don't you feel like the end of this book so Danny Branch basically has a funeral for his father in the woods when he buries him. He digs that grave by himself. He The pages dedicated to the care that went into mm-hmm. the building of the grave and then taking, you know, when he, when he picks him up and he says it, when he picks Burley up to take him and he says, and he just held him a moment. Mm-hmm. And then he takes him out and he puts him in that grave and he stands there and he looks at him and then he starts covering, you know, and then he covers it. It's all just, that is a funeral. Mm. And then I feel like at the very end, that is another, that is the funeral of the family and friends. At the, the, the story ends in Wheeler's office in this room with all of these people with Bode. And Bode then got to be a member he got to be part of that membership. Mm. Well, they, yeah. Cause so what happened? Th- th- I, it, this is to me, one of the greatest scenes in Barry's books is this scene in, uh, in, in Wheeler's office. Um, and it's, and it's appropriate that it be in Wheeler's office. Mm-hmm. Cause to me, Wheeler Catlett, who appears in a number of, of, of Barry's stories, um, he's sort of the defender of tradition. And and just to catch He's everyone angry. up, Wheeler and Henry, father, son, they're lawyers in this yeah. town of Port William. Mm-hmm. And Henry tells everyone who knew Burley Coulter, the man who died, to come to the office. And as the reader, you're not totally sure why, but you kind of know why. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you're talking about. The scene when they all finally yeah. assemble there and the detective right. is there interrogating yeah, them. Yeah, they all, they all gather in all these great characters from, from Wendell's books. And everybody but Danny. Well, he could, but he comes right, later, right, right. Um, and but I think though Henry just wanted to make sure every he didn't want the detective to get each of them by themselves yeah. because he was mm-hmm. afraid. Sure. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, separate. You know, divide. They were and all protecting Danny. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, right. They were, but what what happens in the office? What do they do? Um, and what do they what do they explain to to the detective? They they don't. They don't talk about why it's justified to go into a hospital and pull an old guy out and go bury him in the woods. They 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 simply articulate who Burley Coulter was. That's what they do. They just they just tell him 
who this person that's abstract to him, that's not a real person to him, but just a case. They tell him who he was. And in, 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 this, is, this is in line with a lot of what Barry does in his stories, which is to articulate the human, that, that Burley Coulter was a human being who lived this great life in this community. And, and you who, are, who have come here from outside our community to, to, to exert justice don't have any idea who you're talking about here. But and he also he doesn't idealize Burley though he does mm-hmm. deal with Burley right. as mm-hmm. as a real flawed person. Mm-hmm. So, but it's a person that they love. Mm-hmm. It's a member. Yeah, and they of and their they know community. particular things about Burley that that made him Burley. Right the the fact that he would disappear into the woods for days, right. mm-hmm. you know, and Danny would go with him when Danny got older, you know, but just they were like. This is fitting because he did, he would go disappear into the woods. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, the, the, and, and, and Burley's such a great character in a, in a lot of the stories. He's sort of the, 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 the jester. Right. Uh, the, he is. The, the, he's, he's funny. He he, he's a practical joker. He does all this funny stuff. Uh, and he's completely grounded in the, the, the natural world. And, and in this scene, it, it, to have all these different characters, all, talking about this one guy this is this is this is the great the story is 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 uh what, what's what's the word it it it's 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 the place where burley is honored mm. as a member of this community this port william community and by different people so that you can get this multi uh, pers- perspective multiple perspectives on burley and you mentioned before all the themes of wendell berry seem to come together in this short story mm-hmm. and maybe in the the best of any of his stories, but at least it certainly does here. And to belong is to be known, right? It's mm-hmm. to be known. And that's when they talk in that group there, they describe a person. And so if the discussion is who belongs, who does Burley belong to the hospital or this mm-hmm. membership, mm-hmm. they just have to establish that they know him mm-hmm. and all of those other themes that we've traced technology, the medical establishment, the industrialism of the city, each of these are institutions that separate us from one each other and prevent knowing. He was no longer in his right mind, they thought, because he was no longer in his right place. Mm. Which happens to people in the uh, hospital. Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It does happen. That, yes. They call it well, something. My father-in-law um, passed away uh, a couple years ago, and they took him to the hospital. And I was, my, my, I, my wife and I were talking about this this morning, and she brought this up, that they brought him to the hospital. All he wanted to do was to go home. He was dying, mm. but the hospital is there to save the life. Mm. And they don't understand. It's all quantity of life. It's not the quality of life. And, and he was, cl- my father was clearly dying, but they wanted to keep him there to keep him alive. And the question is, was that the best thing for him? Mm-hmm. And it clearly was not. <laughs> But right. that's that's the they can only see one as the hospital can only see one aspect of things, and it requires real people in a real community to see what's really important. Yeah. I made it clear to Shane this morning that if I'm dying anywhere else, pull the plug on your then, then the farm. Yeah. You, I made you a commitment to never let take him me back to the farm. <laughs> live longer than he wants to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to bring this all the way back around for our final final question with the classical education movement 
I think that what we are trying to do in our schools and, and to encourage with homeschoolers is to, in our schools, create something that serves these kinds of communities rather than allow the education that we're providing or the schools that we're serving be something that actually contributes to the the Louisville in the story or contributes to these systems that break people apart from each other. How do you guys think classical education specifically is suited to do that? And how would you encourage teachers and people involved in classical education to lean into that work to help to create these kinds of environments? Paul, let's start with you. It, to me, the fundamental question that we ask ourselves every day is how do we help our students fulfill their potential as human beings? Mm. Right. And as we were talking about this, I, I was just thinking about the, the, the educational systems that purely want to prepare you for a job, right? They're not worried about whether you know what justice is, whether you know what wisdom is, whether you know what virtue is, um, all essential aspects to our humanity. And, uh, you know, the, the study of literature and history, um, you know, even geography, you know, and, and, and can all be called the humanities because it helps us know who we are. And, and so, you know, in, in an educational system that is driven to, uh, to, to helping children fulfill their potential, um, not just one aspect of their potential, you know, yes, it should prepare them well for a job, but it should prepare them well for adulthood. That should prepare them well for, for, uh, for eternity, right? All of those things. And so, um, it, in that way we can contribute to this community, right? If, if, if the only thing we're focused on is our, jobs and that's just what I often hear from people they're they're worried about can their kid get a job then we've missed what's going to make them a member that's beautiful I just say amen amen yeah I, I think we need to ask um, what are the fundamental things that we share in our culture um what are the things that we need to know and have an affection for um, here in, you know, as citizens of, of, a, of a country, as members of a community? And as, as you know, we, we, we have a history and we have a culture that has come from that history, that has developed out of it. And, and you know, schools today are all about, you know, job skills and and if you look at a modern curriculum, it is disintegrated. It's just a bunch of stuff that is not related to the other stuff. And so what classical education is doing is art, is articulating to students who can hopefully then articulate it to other people and to themselves what the true, the good, and the beautiful are as those things, you know, the things that make life worth living and which are things that there's a long tradition of discussion and argument about. And, and I think that the role of a school is to familiarize those students with that central tradition, the thing that, that makes us Western people, um, the things that make us human beings. Those are the things that, that are the most important things. They need to be at the center of everything. Uh, so in this sense, I think classical education is an integrating thing rather than a disintegrating thing, which a lot of modern education is. 
I mean, Danny Branch, what did it say? He dropped out of school before he finished the eighth grade. But right. he was so mm-hmm. wise, and mm-hmm. he knew exactly what his father needed. And he took care of that with the support of his community. And the, I mean, those are the kinds of things that you're not really going to get from a book. But from lots of discussion and going really deeply into the things that we're studying and, and just learning how to be a, you know, is it whole person you don't like? <laughs> I like that. Okay. Uh, but, 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 you know, <laughs> there, but there's now, some phrase I use that he doesn't like. <laughs> but now, you know, since this kind of life that, that Barry articulates in his books is very hard to live because of our modern culture, we, we can at least read about it and know what it was mm-hmm. and hopefully replicate it in our own lives. Yeah. And I think that, I think that community, I mean, it, it's titled Fidelity for a reason, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that community comes by no matter what, ha- what, other people in the community do, we are faithful to those people. Mm. Yeah, fidelity we, being the, uh, fidelitas being the Latin word for, for, um, for fidelity. <laughs> <laughs> for faithfulness. For faithfulness. <laughs> no, that was just, that was beautiful. <laughs> no, it means faith. It means faithfulness. And it ends with, um, you know, with Wheeler saying to Mr. Bode, the city detective, He's Burley has disappeared into his people and his place, not to be found in this world again forever. Everyone should read this book. I've enjoyed this conversation. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.